0: Have you seen that the, the watch buying has changed? From your perspective, say from your product portfolio, what, what, it, what goes most?
1: Well, we like to pick vintage Amiga because of the quality of the items from uh, when they were made in the 50s and 60s. It's a lot better.
0: Um, I have to say my Speedmaster is the only high-end watch I've ever had to have repaired. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard, the editor of the Watch Gecko magazine, and we're here with another one of our irregular video series. You might recall a couple of weeks ago we did a great video on the Omega Seamaster Anakin Skywalker. That watch was very kindly loaned to us by Watches of Lancashire, and it is with great pleasure that we can say Watches of Lancashire are here today. So, Dan and Ian, welcome. Thank Good you morning. so much for coming to Watch Gecko. Hi. Thank you for inviting us. So, you've brought some fabulous kit. Thank you. Um, some of which is already being photographed and some we've got in front of us here. But for those people that haven't really come across you before, I know it's not possible, but let's just say that some people haven't <laughs> met you.
1: Just tell us a little bit about Watches of Lancashire. Watch of Lancashire, we, we now just deal in vintage watches. Right. And we repair watches.
0: What, what, how long has the company been up and running?
1: Watch of Lancashire has been up and running since 2017.
2: 17.
1: But I was quite new. Yeah. Okay. I've been self-employed since 1998. In the watch industry. In the watch industry. So what?
0: What what were you doing there?
1: Well, I started. I went to college in Manchester to learn watchmaking, and then I worked for Tag Heuer. Oh, okay. And then, interesting. Then I left Tag Heuer in 1998 to set my own business up, repairing watches.
0: So you were at Tag at the 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 classic sort of 90s. I was. Yeah. Yeah era when we all were really I, I've just got this image I always have a Vert and Senna with it on the, yes, the sleeve of his yeah. race suit and everything I mean how did you get into the industry then Dan? <laughs> My mum worked for Taikoyer
2: at the same time, time. <laughs> I've <that>. We've kind <laughs> of there's seen there's a pattern a here <laughs> right. um, I always had a keen interest in watches I was always buying little watches when we went on holiday right. and and then I went to Tag our own work experience. Right. Okay. Loved it. And eventually found Ian when I left school at 16.
0: So just just from, excuse my ignorance here, how big was Tag Heuer's operation in the UK then? At it's that time.
1: Very sizable. I think we had about uh, 15 watchmakers. Right. And quite a big administration staff uh, and distribution.
0: So the watches yeah. physically being made there?
1: No, they were... They were coming in from Switzerland oh, right, okay, and then right, just a distribution, yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, and that was just for the UK market? Yeah,
1: and after sales, yeah.
0: It's interesting because, as we were chatting earlier, so many of us, our first proper watch was a tag. Mine was, as we were saying earlier, I came out of Die Hard 2 and the baddies were wearing tag Tag 2000 chronographs. like Yeah. And I just had to have one. So mine was... I bought one of the Formula ones, you know, the with the, the the strap that you cut. They were they were dead small, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 30 for
1: Thirty-four mil, thirty-three mil. Yeah, really, really, yeah.
0: really small. But I was so proud of it. Um, so you're just dealing in vintage watches now. Yes. Where where do you source the watches, for example? Now
1: uh, we've got quite a lot being offered through the website, and we've got a couple of guys that are on the road. Routing around the antique furs and and car boots. They tip up probably once a month with new stock fryers. (laughs) Are
0: there many Breitling cosmonauts (laughs) in car
1: boots? (laughs) One or two, maybe. Uh, And then we've got dealers from all over the country that are offering us stuff on a weekly basis. So, yeah, we're buying.
0: So how would you say, obviously, from a commercial perspective, the buying is the key bit for you. Yep what's your customer demographic who 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 would you say is, is buying is it youngsters getting into watches is it older collectors is it it's very varied
2: yeah it, it one week you can get three or four young people and it's the first watch choice. maybe they're getting into collecting and then the next week you can have um someone who's in their 80s come along and, and wants another watch it's, I, it's I really so buried.
0: I'd love to be in my 80s and still buy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what would you had you I mean you that's really interesting you mentioned youngsters and then you mentioned much older customers? Have you seen that the, the watch buying has changed over, say, the last certainly as long as you've been with tag, has watch buying changed? Is it is it become a is it more than just a fashion accessory? Is it more than because I was talking to somebody the other day um, who is the CEO of a watch company, and they outright said nobody today needs a watch.
1: I think I think you used to get a watch when you were twenty one, and that was the watch that you would go through life with. Yeah, and now I think people will buy a watch and then buy another watch, and, and just and we'll have quite a, quite a few watches to choose from, and on, on hopefully sometimes starts to spark to collect.
0: So what what is from your perspective say from your product portfolio what what is, what goes most what is the best sellers if you could pick three or four what what is oh yeah we'll definitely take that because we'll sell it
1: well we like to pick vintage Amiga because of the quality of the items from my, when they were made in the 50s and 60s is a lot better you want than, to expand on that Well, <laughs> they're, they're just better made they're, we're not having to change as many parts on something from the 50s if it's really? been looked after. And some watches now, modern watches, if they haven't been looked after, say, for 15 years, the amount of worn parts in them is, you know, we're changing a lot of parts. So the but internal components for yeah, better quality. Better, just better made, yeah.
0: Right. And, and Made to last. Right, interesting. Okay. So, I mean, obviously we can't ignore the fact we've got, my eyes are drifting down. We've got Amiga <laughs> sitting down there in front of us. And I freely admit that when you showed us what you had, there was a couple there that I was really, really keen to see. So I make no apologies for going for my absolute favourite because I've never actually seen one before, right. uh, which is an Ed White. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about
2: this particular watch? This is the original execution of the Speedmaster. Uh, this is before it moved on to... More of this as to what you know now, and it's just a lovely thing. So how how does this
0: differ from, say, the 2011 Speedmaster I bought, which was a Speedmaster Moonwatch? Yeah, how does this differ?
2: So the k shape is slightly different. You can see that the mm. crown is protruding a little bit more, along with the pushers. Later executions, you see, with the um, with the crown guards. And this is because the astronauts were quite often knocking the pushes and the crowns off during really? what they were doing, yeah.
0: Um, so how much of that then carries forward, say, to the Speedmaster I've got? I mean, what have, what, what have I got and what has that got in common? Quite a lot, really.
2: Uh, the movement's changed slightly.
0: So what's – is. Uh, uh, 321 that's a 321 okay they I use guess.
2: they still use the 321 of the base caliber don't they
1: he said 861 is the new caliber which is a lomania this one the difference is that this has a column wheel mm-hmm. chronograph and the new one has like a cam system
0: okay um i have to say my speedmaster is the only high end watch i've ever had to have repaired right uh, my 2011 one i pushed the pusher in when I was watching, and I can tell you exactly when it was, it was the Formula One race in Abu Dhabi. And I just thought I'd time, so I pushed my pusher in and it never came back out again.
1: Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, which ruined the race for me completely. <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, I mean, it was under warranty. So it wasn't an old watch when it happened. Right. So, I mean, obviously, th- th- for me, the, the most obvious change here is the fact that it doesn't say the word professional on it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, There's been subtle changes over the years, but the one thing that's quite nice is they've always kept the plexiglass.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think that was... Because they developed that for the missions, Mm. because it would shatter, but pieces wouldn't break off, is my understanding of that, because they couldn't run the risk of a tiny piece of crystal getting behind a a switch or something. Do you know how it became known as the Ed White? And we all know it as the
2: Ed White. Ed White was was wearing it. Was it on his space wall? Yes. Yeah,
0: It was. Yeah. 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 It was the, it was the, the first American spacewalk. Um, but I, that would have been with Gemini. So I, I, I think, I think the Speedmasters were being issued to the Gemini guys, but I don't think Omega had really capitalized on the, um, the obvious marketing potential of that. Cause it leads me really nicely onto, which to a lot of people may seem superficially a very similar watch, but it's not, it's fundamentally different, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So what's this one here that I've got now?
2: This is the later version. So as you can see with this, it's got the it's got the crown guards. Uh, this has got the 861 movement in it. So and s- it's got the... So this is the pre-moon one without the uh, inscription of... So
0: first did watch you, of have moon. you any idea when that went on, that inscription? Was that during Apollo or was it way after they put that on?
1: It was after the moon yeah. landed. It must... It would make sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know the
0: exact dates. yeah. What date is this watch?
2: That's 69.
0: That's, a, so this is a, right, so this is really interesting. So this is a night, yeah. so they landed on the moon in 69. Yep. And this is a 69 watch, but it's pre-moon landing. Yes. Yeah. So you're sort of at the Apollo 10 sort of era. Do you get, say, Apollo enthusiasts wealthier than myself who come in and ask for a specific X, Y, Z.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's always different collectors looking for different different things.
0: Do you know, how did the Speedmaster transition then after this?
2: I don't think there wasn't too many changes after that. Yeah, because this was really looks like mine. It's really similar. And, yeah. then, and then from then up until still today, it still looks identical. Yeah, okay.
0: Going back to the business again for a minute. What would you say is the most expensive slash rarest slash most unusual watch that you've, you've come across in the time that you've been selling?
1: I think it would be a Monaco that was sold.
2: It was The Monaco was a uh, 1970s calibre 12 mm-hmm. uh, 1133B, which was in the collector's guide. There was a guy that did a collector's guide of Monaco's and it was the actual watch out the book, but it was that good you were scared to look at it. It was, it was so crisp. It's, it's like it just come off the shelf.
0: I, I'd just been hermetically sealed for
2: yeah, yeah. 50 years.
0: yeah. It's amazing these things come up, don't they? Yeah, yeah. You'd be surprised how often they do as well. Really? Yeah. I mean, perfect watches yeah, from perfect watches a bygone era.
2: Just been stuffed in a drawer, forgotten.
0: I suppose it makes great for great collecting, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Because if you can find, I mean... I don't know, say, say your, your, one of your Grail watches was a Submariner Big Crown, something like that. I mean, you're going to struggle to find one that's mint. So it's all it's almost slightly weird to think about, isn't it, having one that looks like it was made yesterday. Mm. So how often would you come across these watches like that? Every few months. Really? I yeah. thought you we were going to say about one a year.
2: It depends what it is. Sometimes you can go a long time not seeing something mm. and then all of a sudden, like buses, three can come up.
0: And I suppose from the other side of the coin, you must get watches that come along which are, which look like a bus has driven over them. Yeah. Um, and but they're equally collectible, I assume, in their own way.
2: Some people like mint and immaculate, mm. and some people like the lived-in look, where they've got the history. You know, someone's worn it, loved it.
0: It's interesting because I've got a very good friend who knows exactly who he is because he'll be listening to this. Who's bought a Submariner that he won't get wet. Mm.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> but it's a, little, it's a little moment we have between us when we talk about it. And I'm wearing Explorer 2, which has been through the Kalahari Desert, the Wahiba Sands in Oman, it's been to the jungles of Southeast Asia, and it's been thoroughly, thoroughly used. And I always think tool watches bring out two very different sides to people's characters. Um, And I think from a collecting perspective, it is, as you pointed out, it is quite interesting to have one where every ding and scratch can be accounted for. Um, We were briefly talking about, I think, one of the most famous ones recently, which was the direct competitor to this watch, which I think, Ian, you and I both own. Yeah, the Boulevard. The Boulevard Apollo 15 watch. And You look at the original that Dave Scott had, four hours and 50 minutes on the moon, and it looks wrecked. Yet that is that's the gem that's the gem of that watch, because every scratch is a piece of lunar dust. Has done that. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think I think it's great. There's a place for both those the battered ones and the the heavily patinated ones, and also the brand new ones. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, talking of patinated faces, moving on to the next one we requested, which I think we've had in this office before because yep. we loved it, which is the Tudor Sub. What's the age of this watch? What do you know about this one?
2: 1971. Wow. And it's in great nick for what it is.
0: It's superb, isn't uh, it? Yeah. Can you just give us a potted history at all, if you know it? The commonality between this watch, say, and a a similar era Submariner?
2: Pretty much the same thing. They're just with the different branding, different movement. They're both cased by Rolex. Mm -hmm. Choose to use different movements. Obviously, you've got the snowflake hands, which is the iconic look of mm. the Tudor Sub, which I think is, is much nicer than the, the Mercedes hands of the, uh, the Rolex. What are you saying? <laughs> 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 no, I agree.
0: I think, it, I think it's because the Mercedes hand is overused. It's on so many other watches. Yeah. This is iconic. This is, mm. you know, you look at this, and at a glance, it's recognisable. What's interesting, though, is if you look at it from just about any other angle... Uh, you would quite innocently say it's a sub,
1: yeah, definitely, until it
0: turns over and it really catches your attention. That you think, oh, it's not; it's a Tudor. Um, these these were, I presume, at the time these were cheaper than a Rolex. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and do you, do you know why they developed that cheaper brand? Was it just to hit a different
2: demographic? Yeah, it was. It was a people. A lot of people refer to it as the poor man's Rolex, which <laughs> quite, is quite, quite a cruel. touchy subject, really, isn't it? It's quite cruel. But, um, yeah. They weren't as popular and they they didn't sell as many mm. and thus they've become more collectible now. There aren't
1: as many of them about.
0: What movement does this have in it, say, as opposed to what a similar era sub would have? Uh, so
1: this will have an ETA in it.
0: Right, okay. Whereas Rolex would have the in-house. Would have, yeah, a, a, probably. So a. they were buying in the movements for these? Yes. Right, okay. Would you say this is even more collectible than a Rolex Submariner now?
1: I'd say it's rare,
0: Yeah. It's really interesting. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a very young watch collector, and he obviously has grown up in an era where Tudor is a completely separate brand. He makes no mental association between Rolex and Tudor at all. Whereas I do, being of a certain age, and I can see this, you know, it's got Rolex written on the back of it, yeah. and it's got the crown on, yeah. on the buckle, on the clasp. So he's fascinated by these early watches, and he was quite open. When I told him I was seeing this today, he said he would buy this overwhelmingly over a similar age to but Mariner.
1: That's,
0: but that, that's interesting because that's a 24-year-old collector's perspective.
2: As a collector, it's something different. Mm. You know, you, you could look at it and go, it's a talking point as well. Someone to look at it and go, oh, you've got a Rolex on. You go, no, I've not.
0: I mean, this one looks pretty clean. I mean, the, petite, it's a, the, the indices and hands are just beautiful colour, aren't they?
1: It's got a lovely patina. the dial's sort of spotted as well.
0: Yeah, it is really lovely, yeah. So, staying with the um, underwater theme, one of my favourite watches of all time here, we've got a tag Night Diver. Am I calling it by its right name? Many years ago, I used to own a Tag Horror 1000 series, which is one of my watches that I now bitterly regret selling. But... Didn't appreciate it at the time, possibly. So th- this watch reminds me hugely of um, that first Tag Heuer I was telling you about the F1, because yeah. that had the full-loom dial. Full-loom dial, they don't really last, do they?
1: No, sun, sun and water can damage them quite badly.
0: Yeah, I mean, I noticed that, you know, there was obviously Superluminova or something in the hands of my tag because the hands and everything lasted longer than the full-loom dial did. But from a dive perspective, I mean, it's... I don't doubt it's an invaluable tool. what's what's the era of this? Is this eighties?
1: Yeah, late eighties.
0: Late eighties. Talking earlier about the fact this is so synonymous with the James Bond movie, The Living yeah. Daylights with Timothy Dalton. Um, do you ever get um movie enthusiasts, for example, seeking watches like that? Because I mean I as a as a Bond fan myself, you know, I I I would like watches that I've seen in the movies. Would you get someone like that come to buy this?
1: Yes, to buy the watch, yeah, definitely.
0: We've noticed on a few field watches that are coming out at the moment that Full loom Dial is making a comeback. Uh, One of the brands we look after, Boulder, they've just introduced a Full loom Dial. And I think it's really nice to see. Um, But it's interesting as well, you see other brands that they don't quite get the mix right because they – TAG, I think what they did was so well, was they, they had everything jet black against the loom dial, whereas others haven't done that. So therefore it makes it actually quite difficult to read the dial in full loom. If you've just gone for a similarly loomed hand, obviously they're just starting to merge into one yeah, another. Yeah. Yeah. I think TAG, the people who want to go full loom should really be looking at this and learning from what TAG did because it's so stark. Yeah, I've left probably my fave till last. <laughs> Because it's just a joy to have here a cosmonaut. You let slip you own a cosmonaut.
2: Well, not the cosmonaut, similar shaped. Right. I've, got, I've got the, the Breitling calibre 12 version of this. Right, okay. But just the standard time only. I thought time, you are time a cosmonaut.
0: It's one of the very few watches I've tried on in a boutique and just couldn't quite justify <laughs> the money for it. It was so <laughs> expensive new. I mean, how many cosmonauts do you come across?
1: Not many. It's a very difficult watch to read.
0: This has changed a lot, hasn't it? Because yeah. the Cosmonaut now, correct me if I'm wrong, looks more like a
2: Navitimer. Yes. So Brightlin did did the original 60s Navitimer and mm-hmm. they did uh, a version of the Cosmonaut in that case. But then this was portrayed as the, the first water-resistant Navitimer and then it was they did it with the Cosmonaut as well.
0: For the benefit of people who haven't come across the cosmonaut before, I mean, the most glaringly obvious thing is that the dial is incomprehensibly busy uh, and it tells the time in 24 hours, not 12.
2: Yeah, it can get
0: quite confusing. It can, And it's got a slide rule just yeah. to completely finish you off. It's everything you could ever need to fly an aircraft in a watch. It, it, it's quite incomprehensible, the calculations you can do with this. I mean, the most famous one of all, unless you've got any other stories, is the, was it Scott Carpenter? Yeah, Scott Carpenter it was. In Aurora 7, which was the original Mercury capsules, he had that. He he wore one. Obvious choice because they didn't have, NASA didn't have a watch at that time. And he wore it because, uh, and my understanding, and I could be wrong on this, no doubt someone will correct me. I think Scott Carpenter actually asked Breitling to create a Navi timer with a 24-hour dial and i think that's where it might have come from
2: well they've recently re-released it right have you seen the re-release no, of brightly now ensimer um so it, they did a big release with with his watch as well next to it wow um obviously it's it's all it's not it's in some, the greatest it's not condition. looking so good it <laughs> no <laughs> right. cuz it wasn't waterproof either yeah um so it's all you can't can't tell the time on it anymore yeah they, it's, uh, the re-release looks really good.
0: Yeah, that's actually quite a famous story, that his watch survived the Aurora 7 orbit. And then when he was pulled out of it by the divers, because it splashed in the ocean, that <laughs> killed the watch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they didn't think about that. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it's just, it, I mean, the 24-hour dial, I mean, I've got a 24-hour hand on this watch, and the GMT Master, for example, has one. But to have a 24-hour dial is just so unique. And it's so perfect for a guy who is in permanent daylight or permanent darkness. How can he possibly tell whether it's 3 a.m. or 3 p.m.? He can't. I think the only thing from my very, very limited experience looking at them is you'd have to retrain your brain, I think, a little to tell the time. Because if you're – I've had 50 years of looking at watch hands that I know that is – 10 plus 10. 10 plus 10. (laughs) But that's not what that's going to read on there, is it? You wore it for a week, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. It was, you it had no idea what time it was. <laughs> 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 just constantly late yes, rarely for everything. <laughs> so was it, was it genuinely quite hard to keep yeah, your head
1: around? after a week, I was getting my head around it.
0: See, that's, that's really cool, isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's really cool. I'm afraid we're not going to have this for a week. But it'd be, it's just, it is fascinating to look at it and think, you know, at the moment, it's, well, in my mind, it's pointing to 20 past 6
2: Mm-hmm
0: be that pm or am but it's not it's telling me it's 20 plus 12 yeah yeah you really would have to retrain your brain i think that's what makes this such an amazing collectible watch mm, the, the fact not. that there is we always love that we always we always joke in the office here about the fact that um whilst you know we love a good quartz watch don't get me wrong like the bull it's cracking quartz yeah. um there's something about an automatic or a a manual wind that you kind of needs you to be alive and i think the level of human interaction with the cosmonaut required just to make it work (laughs) to me separates it from everything else it's just an amazing bit of kit um so i think what we'll do is we'll get some more watches in there and um we can have a look at the second half of the collection